And again, take up your Bibles, turn them open there to the ninth chapter of Hosea. I'm going to read the ninth chapter, but I'll be referencing portions of chapter 10 because the message continues into chapter 10. And so you'll see that these two chapters go together. As I mentioned before, uh, this whole section beginning back in chapter 7 and running through uh, chapter 11 is, uh, is a single continuous message that God has for his people Israel. And uh, we've taken it in, in, in chunks, and tonight we're taking it in another chunk of two chapters. But we'll just read chapter 9 because it covers all that is said in the two portions. God is just piling on more and more concerning the people and their sin. So follow along. Rejoice not, O Israel. Exult not like the peoples. For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them. And the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord. But Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourners' bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Bel Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children... I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I've seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. 
Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word is forever. Father, thank you so much for being clear, for being blunt with us. We can so easily be a stiff-necked people, and we need you to get our attention time and time again. And so we thank you for this passage and ask now that you'd be pleased to shake us, to shape us, and to send us out in this world more holy. Grant us repentance. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, one of the reasons that, uh, as we did in Isaiah, taking some big chunks of portions of, of that prophet, we've done at times with Hosea, and we are tonight, is because I don't want you to lose sight of the forest for all the trees. It's easy for us sometimes, isn't it, to focus on a single tree and miss the grandeur of the, of the big picture of the forest that's just full of colors. We're just looking at one color sometimes in the fall. And so we're taking this big chunk. We're in the middle of this lengthy message. As I said, chapter 7 through 11 is a single message that God has given Hosea to speak to the people, to Israel. And we've seen ever since we left the, the, the marriage story of Hosea and Gomer, we've seen that God just keeps telling the people about their sin and keeps warning them about what's coming if there's no repentance. And so he's doing it again here. Just like Gomer, he says that they have, they have forsaken the Lord, they've played the whore, they've loved a prostitute's wages. They like what they get in selling themselves to the surrounding nations. That's where they find their pleasure. And he is gravely, God is gravely concerned about the welfare of his people because he's concerned about their fidelity. And at this point, infidelity marks them, not fidelity. He wants his people to be pure and undefiled. James 1.27 tells us that. Keeping oneself unstained by the world. And everyone here could testify how easy it is to do that. If you're listening closely, you'd be going, huh? It's not easy at all to keep yourself unstained and undefiled. We live in a world that presses upon us. 
It's everywhere. And so let me remind you, as we pursue a holy life, and we read passages like this that are full of warnings, that warnings have two purposes. The first purpose is to provide instruction on what's going to happen if you continue in this path. And the answer to that, short and sweet is, or short and bitter, better, is if you pursue your sin and you, you continue to not heed God's warnings, you will be destroyed. That's it, plain and simple. You say, oh, but I believe in Jesus, so even though I sin, 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 I'll, no. That's a professing faith. What you want and what I need is a possessing faith, a faith that possesses Christ, that stands in union with Christ, doesn't just talk about Jesus. Many on that last day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't say, didn't we say we believe? They even say, didn't we do all these things in your name? And the Lord says, depart from me for I never knew you. And so the warnings are to provide instruction on what's going to happen if we don't repent. But second, and primarily, as I've said before, these warnings are designed to bring repentance. That's what God wants. He desires obedience rather than sacrifice. He wants us to repent. God's message is consistent. There are curses for disobedience. And there is restoration for the repentant. And so... With that in mind, let's, let's consider, let's, let's discern some of the symptoms uh, of unrepentance in this, and let's continue to ponder how we may flee from unrighteousness and live lives of righteousness and holiness for our great God. He deserves it. So first, two points, very simple. A lot of scripture, but two simple points. Perseverance in sin leads to desolation and confusion. So let's remember, first off, this book is given in those first chapters in a story. The marriage instructed by God, Hosea, to this woman, a prostitute named Gomer. She comes, she bears at least a child, perhaps some children with Hosea, and then she returns to her whoring ways, as we read here. You have played the whore. You have loved a prostitute's wages. And then the commentary begins, and we've been watching this unfold for several chapters now. The commentary begins on what that marriage was symbolizing. The marriage was symbolizing God in the Hosea Character, his prophet, his pure, godly character, char- uh, characterized prophet, and Gomer, the sinful, weighing bride. All right? Now, these are God's people. He set them apart. They are, as we say today, the visible church of, of lords. They carry the sign of the covenant. 
They profess. Those words of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's their profession. Now they probably had it printed on banners. You know. The Lord is our God. But they didn't seem to bother to read the next verse of the Shema. You know what the next verse says. You can, well, even if you haven't read it for a while, you could guess what it says. If you're going to say the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, then you also got to say this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Well, they just kind of overlooked that part, didn't they? They liked the part, the Lord is God. But they didn't like the part about loving the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They liked the part about loving the world. And they tried to have their cake and eat it too, as we say. I'll profess the Lord, but I want to live like the world. And you and I know how easy that can be to fall into. And we also know how many professing Christians live that life. And the warning to them in this passage is, you can't get away with that. Now you might be sitting there and you'll be saying, well I know people like that and they seem to be getting away with it. Well you need to go read Psalm 37. The psalmist laments that the wicked just seem to prosper. They seem to be doing wonderful. They're just doing grandly. They're just everything. Lord, what's... And then God reminds him at the end. That's just their little bit of heaven. That's all they're going to get. In the end, I'll get them. You remember those, those words... Of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. The warning to youthfulness. To the youth. I'll paraphrase it. In your youth. Go on. Do what you want. Live the way you want to live. But in the end. God will get you. God's saying. You continue. I'm going to get you. You say, but I thought this morning you said for those who love the Lord and those who who pursue and those who look forward to his coming, there will be no mention of sin. In other words, no judgment for them. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. For those who profession and possession match. For those who profess the Lord is my God, the Lord is one, and their lives match. Match, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can't be one or the other. It's a both and proposition. They didn't pay attention to the whole picture. And so what's the result? Well, they don't want to do what God told them to do. The way God told them to do it. That's important. We can do the things God says to do. 
and not do it the way God told us to do it. We can sit through a worship service and we can do all the proper elements and our minds be far away and our hearts be sold in slavery to sin. It's easy. Right? I mean, be honest. How many times have you driven home at the end of a day and you get home and you don't even remember the traffic lights you went through. Now, if you're not conscious of that, of that happenstance, which everyone has happened to them, then you're worse off than you think you are. It's bad enough that we make those treks, those common treks from work to home, home to work, home to leisure locations. And we get there and we're like, you know, I don't even remember passing. I don't even remember crossing that intersection. Was I asleep? What was going on? I hope the light was green. Now, if you if you've never had that happen. As I said, you're worse off than we think you are because that happens. We all let our minds wander to what we're going to do when we get home, who we need to call when we get home. I know some of you just go ahead and call, but sometimes we need to wait till we get home to make that phone call. And we can do that same thing in worship, can't we? And all of a sudden... We're listening to the pastor and we're like, did we sing the psalm already? Did he skip that psalm? And we stood there and we mouthed the words and we don't even remember what we said. They offered worship and God didn't accept it. Do you notice this is highlighted in chapter 10. In those first two verses, we haven't read them, so if you haven't read ahead, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his his pillars. Their Their heart is false. One translation says their heart is deceitful. One translation says their their heart is faithless. That's the point. They're professing something that's not true. It's false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Over in verse 4 of chapter 9, it says, They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. They're offering sacrifices. Obviously, their sacrifices will not please him. But they're not going to do it the way God told them to do it. Because their heart is not where their heart's supposed to be. And they end up eating the sacrificial bread, and it's for them, not for God. Did you notice that? For their bread shall be for their hunger only, it shall not come to the house of the Lord. They bake the bread, God told them to prepare, they bring it, only. They bring the leftovers. They've already eaten. 
In other words, they're worshiping God to appease their own conscience. Not to appease a holy God. Not to worship a holy God. That's another struggle that people have, isn't it? Am I here today to to worship God or just because I'd feel guilty if I stayed home? What will you do on the day of the appointed feast and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they're going away from destruction, but Egypt will gather them. The worship that they offered served only to assuage their individual conscience, not to please the Lord. Their heart is faithless. Their heart's deceitful. Their heart, it's false. The point is our whole being has to be engaged in worship to God. It's not pleasing to God. We need to repent when we recognize those things. They also call together false leaders. Do you see that? The days of punishment have come, verse 7 says. Days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim. Verse 9, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. This is, this is what's going on. It is nothing more than what Paul warned the people at Ephesus about through Timothy. When he said this in 2 Timothy 4, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And that's exactly what they've done. And you notice the reference here, as in the days of Gibeah in verse 9. If you go back and read, uh, if you'll look in your Bibles, it probably has the, should have the reference in the days of Gibeah over in the marginalia, and it's Judges 19.22. If you read that entire chapter, here's the problem. Here's the sin of the day. Sodomy. Homosexuality. You say, whoa, that's the first time we've heard this one in Hosea. We don't typically think prostitution and homosexuality and but that's what, oh man, that's really gross. That's what's going on in the days of Gibeah. And they had their false prophets who, 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 who confirmed them in it. Who, who not only, they did, the prophets didn't turn an eye to it. They saw it and they commended it. They encouraged it. That's what God's saying here. And he's, and he's saying, the prophet is a fool. The man of spirit is mad. Because of your great iniquity and great hatred. In other words, they've bought into it all. The prophets aren't standing out apart from this wickedness. And here God's saying, 
to Israel. You're just like this. All through this passage, he references back to some really bad sins in the past their fathers. Verse 10, they came to Bel Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame. This is after God had brought them out and then they go and consecrate themselves, not to God, but to the thing of shame. Here's the arrogance of youth. I'll never do that. That's the, that's, you know you're setting yourself up for a fall when you say that. I'll never forget years ago, General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. This was during the time around the late 1990s, around 2000. A church in this area uh, had, been, uh, in, had been brought to attention that they were having women in the pulpit of the church. That church eventually left the PCA. But during that time, there was a move. I think Mark was probably attending General Assemblies about this time. There were overtures to the General Assembly to, let's look. Yes, our BCO, our, our confession is clear on this. Women are not to stand in places of authority and proclaim God's word to the people of God in a corporate worship service. But let's just put it out there. This cannot happen in our churches. Put it in the BCO. Overtures committee took it and they said, you know what? It's, it's everywhere in our BCO and our confession. Uh, we don't need to do this. Went to the floor of the assembly and a, a, a godly father of the church who was still concerned and thought, you know, obviously it's not as clear as we think it is. And so he moved the motion on the floor to be reconsidered. And another founding father of the PCA stood up, and I'll never forget this. He said, brothers, when the PCA was formed, this was a problem. Women, authority in the church, elders, deacons, ministers. But our women would never do such a thing. Well, I'm going to tell you, we're battling that same issue again in the PCA. And our godly women wouldn't do that sort of thing. That's what we were told on the floor. And that's what these people were saying. Oh, we would never, we're, we're not like our fathers. We know our fathers did terrible things. We'll never do those kind of things. And yet, God's putting the finger on them and saying, Oh, Bajar, just like at Gibeah, just like at Bel Peor, you're doing the same things. How easy it is for us to think because we're not our parents, our grandparents, we're not doing the same things. We're just sinning a little differently. We're more sophisticated with our sin. And God says, I don't care if it's different or it's more sophisticated or less sophisticated. Sin is sin is sin. The prophet is a fool. He's demented. But Israel had always wanted prophets that would let them do what they wanted to do. We won't take time here, but you go back and read 
concerning the time of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. The time when Micaiah was the only true prophet in the land. Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, hey, will you go to war with me? Jehoshaphat said, indeed I will. My horses will be your horses. My people will be your people. My chariots, your chariots. But could we, could we check with the prophet first just to be safe? Because you remember, I mean, Jehoshaphat at least remembered. God had said, when you go to war, if I'm with you, you're going to win. If I'm not with you, you're going to lose. I don't care what the numbers are. That's the rule. Jehoshaphat remembered that. So he said, let's ask a prophet. So Ahab said, that's fine. I got 400 prophets. So they call the 400 plus prophets in. The 400 prophets standing there, flat-footed. Ahab says, shall we go to war or not? They said, go to war. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They just said it. Jehoshaphat said, okay, I'm, I feel a little better, but is there not a prophet of the Lord that we could talk to? Now, how did he know they weren't? Because they, didn't, they did not inquire of the Lord. They just said, sure. Because Jehoshaphat had already figured out Ahab had surrounded himself with prophets who would tickle his ears, who would say what he wanted. They call Micaiah. He says, let me, let me talk to the Lord about this. He comes back and says, Lord says, don't do this. You will lose. Oh, Ahab. He said, put him in prison. Now, dumb Jehoshaphat at this point should have known. Something's not right here. But instead, he says, well, okay, I guess 400 to 1, that's pretty good odds. So they go. And they lose. Micaiah was right. But the people didn't want to hear the prophet who was telling them the hard, cold truth. They wanted to hear the prophet that was tickling their ears. And they had 400 of them. And you can look around today, folks. You can find pastors and preachers everywhere that will preach sermons that make you feel good about yourself all day long. And won't tell you at the end of the day the truth. And Hosea is telling us the truth. Now here's the question for us. When we're reading those parts of the Bible that we just don't feel very comfortable with, do we just dismiss it and move on? When we hear in the sermon something we don't like, we just say, well, he's just wrong. When it's plain in the scripture that the, he's just simply reading the scripture. Can't tell you how many times in talking one-on-one -on -one with people, I've just said, well, let's look. Here's what the Bible says. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. And I'll say, okay, your problem's not with me. Your problem's with God. And that's a big problem. But how often do we do that? Or, or we don't have to be blatant about it. We can just gloss over. Well, I don't understand that, so I'm going to go on. When it may be perfectly clear what it says. Thou shalt not. Well, is that really what it's saying? Well, let's move on to the next chapter. I need to get my reading in for the day. There's a lot of ways we can commit this sin right here. 
Let's not be like the people of Hosea, disregarding God's word, his warnings. Here's the second big point. Perseverance in sin has consequences. Not surprising, is it? He says, you're going to go into exile. He uses Egypt to describe it. Everybody would remember the story of Egypt, and so he uses Egypt. We've seen this already in Hosea. It's not something new. He tells them in verse 3, They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. This, of course, ultimately is going to be the Babylonian captivity. After Assyria has finished with Israel, Babylon comes along. Exile, separation from God. Anytime the people are threatened with being outside the land, they're being threatened with you're no longer being in the presence of the blessings of the Lord. In the land with the blessings of the Lord. That's why the land's such a big deal. God said, I will bless you when you're where I want you to be. And if you're not where I want you to be, you will not be blessed. Being out of the land means no blessings. They're eating unclean food, not clean food. Separation. Separation from God produces destruction. Verse 12, even if they bring up children. First of all, verse 11, Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. And even if there is a conception, even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. That's harsh, isn't it? You keep on. You want to know how bad it's going to get, Israel? I will deprive you of children. I'll take your heritage away. You say, really? You see, that's how bad sin is, folks. You say, but children? Well, I want to tell you something. God's, God's not dumb. God knows what's dear to people's hearts. If you want to get a parent's attention, mention their children. Right? Tell them their child is in imminent danger. If you want to get them active, you want to get them on the move. I just saw your three-year-old up on the street on his tricycle. What? They won't just sit there, will they? They won't say, oh, well, he, he'll be fine. No, they'll run. So God uses the children to get their attention. This is how bad it is, folks. Sadly, they don't listen. But let's not forget, the warning is to bring about repentance. It's not just to say, okay, it's confirmed you're gone, you're done with. Babylon it is, no children, no heritage for you, off the land, off the reservation, it's done for. That's not what God's saying. 
But he's saying that is what will happen if you don't repent. If you keep following false teaching, that's what will happen. It'll be severe and there'll be no recourse. Well, it's what chapter 10 verses 5 and following tell them. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn for it and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoiced over it and over its glory for it's departed from them. The glory is departed. Ephraim shall be put to shame. Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig. Samaria being the capital. The, from the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? You've plowed injustice, you've reaped injustice, you've eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil at dawn. The king of Israel should be utterly cut off. That's what's going to happen if you don't repent. God will not disregard sin. And especially in his church. He warns us over and over. Let's pay attention. Let's not be like Israel. Let's pay attention. Let's deal with our sins individually and corporately, quickly. Let's deal with them often. And let's deal with them thoroughly. Let's put to death unrighteousness. And let's strive to live in a way that honors the Lord. Let our profession, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, be matched with love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we don't have to worry about this destruction. We don't have to worry about our children. We get to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would do that in our hearts tonight. That you give us that. That we might love you. The Lord who is our God. The Lord who is one with our whole being. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.